let's just again have a word of prayer. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to come. You'd enlighten the eyes of our understanding. You'd open us to the knowledge of God. You'd bring us into revelation of love and that our hearts would come alive. Lord, I pray you'd do violence to everything that separates us from your emotions. God, I pray that you would come and in, the, in this time, in this moment, you'd take possession of this place. You'd infiltrate this room with your spirit. You'd unlock hearts. You'd tenderize us on the inside. You'd speak tenderly over us the kindness of your love. You'd draw us in, even again, to know you. To know your love and to know the way you feel. Lord, we thank you for it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Good. Everybody said amen. Matthew 22, in verse 36, a lawyer is asking Jesus a question. He's testing him. I just think, you know, what kind of guts do you have to sort of like ask Jesus a Bible question? Foolishness, presumption, or boldness are a mixture of all three. In verse 36, he says, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. We're, um, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a little bit of a series and we're, we're dealing with the uh, John 13 to 17 group of chapters. And I look at John 13 and the end of John 13 um, I really believe that should have been John 14. I don't think John 14 should have started with uh, let not your heart be troubled. I think John 14 should have started with the verse right after Judas left. And then you get Jesus talking to Peter there still at the table. And that's what we talked about last week. And so I'm including the last part in our John 14 through 17 series. I'm including the end of John 13. Because I think it goes together well. And the... It's interesting because I looked this week and just really was just getting my mind around John 14 through 17. And in, in those uh, few chapters, there are so many themes that Jesus hits over and over and over and over. He, he repeats himself continually through those last, uh, through those chapters. There's the last few things he's saying to, to his closest ones. Judas is gone. The, uh, the 11 are left. And he is offering continually uh, the, the most important things on his heart, but he continues to repeat and repeat and repeat. And I found 11 different themes that he just hits over and over and over. And uh, one of them, and probably in my mind and, and that group, one of them is the issue of loving one another. And that group of chapters, I think perhaps even, it's perhaps the most predominant theme and it's that of loving one another. And as I was looking at it, I was <clears throat> allowing it to touch my heart in a, in, in a way. And I started just considering the whole interchange of love. And how does this thing work? How does love from God to me, out of me, how does this flow even work? And Jesus, see, in John 14 through 17, he says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. And here in the second commandment, Jesus says, I want you to love others as you love yourself. And I started looking at these things and I started going, well, that means I need to know how Jesus loves me for real so I can love others. And I need, to, I need to have love for myself before I can love someone else. And so I want to just move us through some of these thoughts. I, I'm just going to go a little basic and build, but I just want to take us through some of these thoughts and, 
and build this thing a little bit. I'm considering loving my neighbor as myself. Loving my neighbor as myself. Love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the first commandment. Love my neighbor as myself. See, the first commandment and the second commandment, they both presuppose that you know the love of God, which is what Jesus told us in John 14. Love each other as I have loved you. So I started considering this, and and for God to be able to give us command, for God to be able to give us, um, you know, the, the, the obligation, if you can think of it that way, to love, to be loved, and to give love, it must mean this, that we are divinely wired to receive love and divinely wired to give love. Have you thought about that? God wove you together as a receptacle for love. He made your being ready, always ready to receive love. Otherwise, he couldn't give us the thing where he says, as I have loved you, love one another, because the the idea is he's supposing that we can receive love, and therefore, if we weren't wired to receive love, he'd be asking us to do the impossible. But yet when he made us and he formed us and he wove us together, there's something within us that is already set up to receive love. It's kind of an interesting thing, but you and I are built for the most superior pleasure there is. And then when he says, and love one another, he's giving us command to give love. That means we are divinely constructed to manifest God in the form of love to people. Well, it also means this, that we are divinely constructed to receive love from people. Our wiring is set up so uniquely. We're transmitters and we're receivers of love. And it's from heaven to us. It's from us to heaven. It's from uh, us to people and from people to us. And then there's this strange one. As yourself. Love one another. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, that must mean this, that I'm wired to receive love from myself. How strange. What a weird thought. Sounds like we're in a self-help clinic. (laughs) This is not self-help. This is help. God, help. So I'm looking at the wiring of our hearts and I'm thinking, boy, I've never considered what this life is. But essentially, life is boiled down to a life of being loved and giving love. That's what life is about. And Monica was preaching all over my message tonight and they were singing all over it. Did you learn to love? Did you learn to love? Did you learn to love? I believe that's the question that the Lord's going to look into our eyes and ask us. When we stand before him on that day at the judgment seat, I believe he's going to look in our eyes and say, did you learn to love? Well, God, I had a cool business that I grew. Did you learn to love? Well, God, I had an awesome ministry. Did you learn to love? God, I was an intercessory missionary at the International House of Prayer. Did you learn to love? God, I gave my body to be burned and all my goods to the poor. Did you learn to love? I just think about Jesus gathering the crew around and making the big point at the end. He goes, guys, I'm getting ready to leave. He goes, therefore, love one another as I have loved you. Cling to one another. Give to one another. Serve one another. Be kind to one another. Be affectionate to one another. As I've been affectionate to you, do it to one another. You know why? Because I'm not going to be with you. And there's wiring in your heart to receive it from one another and to give it to one another. Or there's no way Jesus could command us to do it. Huh. Well, I thought all I had to do was just fall in love with God. Just want to love God. I just want to go get in my cubbyhole by myself, fall in love with God and love God all day long and not deal with any of those bad people out there. Because I wouldn't have a sin problem if I didn't have to deal with people. I wouldn't have an anger issue if I didn't have anybody pushing my buttons. I could be kind all the time. Me and my pet hamster. 
This is kind of, come on now, isn't that a little bit, you know, ministry would be so easy if we didn't have to deal with all these people. But he made us, he built us to be loved, to receive love, and he built us to give love, and he built us to give love. He built us to receive love from himself, from others, and from ourselves. And he built us to give love to him, to others, and to ourselves. It's strange, but true. And when he asks us to give love to others, see, there's certain people I love to love. You know, he goes, I want you to love one another. And he's talking to the disciples about their, all their best friends. He's talking to the 11 about the guys that they've hung out with every single day. For the last three and a half years, he goes, I want you to love one another. They're like, sweet, I can do that. I already like them. And he draws them back to Matthew 5, I'm convinced in their minds. And he says, and love your enemies. And love your neighbors. See, enemies isn't the guy that you hate. It's not supposed to be that way anyway. It's the guy that hates you. That's how you get the enemy. The enemy isn't the guy on your list. You happen to be on his list. That's the enemy. He goes, find out whose list you're on and go love them. And he goes, and love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor is the guy you know, that's the acquaintance, and the guy you don't know, the stranger. Just love him. Love him how? The way you love yourself. See, it's easy for me to love one another, the ones that are close to me. And maybe I can even, you know, stumble, bumble, rumble into loving an acquaintance. But loving, really loving somebody I don't know, and then really like going and finding the guy's list that I'm on, and like, like really, from the inside, blessing him. See, because love isn't about identifying the externals and then sort of just putting the facade of kindness on. Love you. And just sort of leaving. That's not love. Love is from the inside out. See, what we do is we learn what love looks like so that we can look like we're living in love. We learn love so we can do love, but it's external. It's not even internal. Come on, this is me and you. Come on. Come on. And love is not about the externals. It's the internals. You can have all the externals right. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. That all the externals can be in place and that the heart can be devoid of this reality. You can give your money. You can give your goods. You can do all these things and not have love. The externals can line up just right, but love can be absent from the heart. Living from the revelation of love is living from the inside out. Not living from the outside and being vacant within. So it just begs the question when you start getting around those that you don't like and who don't like you. Is it on the inside? Is it on the inside? It gets on the inside because, see, we only, the only way we love is because we, he first loved us. It's the only way we love because we know that he first loved us. It's the only way. That's how it gets on the inside. But when it comes down to actually manifesting this life of love to people, all of a sudden, you know, it gets real clear how much of that's actually flowing through us and how mature or immature the love of our heart really is. And I just got to say, when I look in the mirror and I go, okay, so how much of it is just overflowing the life and the love of God to one another, to my neighbors, to my enemies, how much of it is flowing out? I go, oh, I don't know. Oh, no. I don't know that I know this. Not know it so I can do the list. I'm saying know it from within. Experientially know this. And I have a strong 
desire that we in this community would love. That we would love for real love. I'm not talking about painting on the smile and acting kind because the facade says love is kind without, without the inner reality. But I'm talking about the emotional affection within that binds us together. Jesus said this thing is so powerful that if you will love one another, the world will know you're from me. The world hasn't seen this kind of stuff yet. That's the point. You know how we divide. You know how we schism. And I don't want to divide in schism. I don't want to divide from the greater part of the body. And I don't want to divide amongst us. And I want to love. I want to love. Really love. You know, we're built for this. We're made, we're constructed for this. Just like you're constructed for oxygen to flow in, for air to flow in, and for breath to flow out. Your life flow is built on this principle. You are made for love to flow in and flow out. This is the way your heart lives alive in this life. Otherwise, you're broken, bruised, and burned out. I guarantee it. If love isn't flowing in and flowing out, if love isn't your portion, and if it's not your gift to give, I guarantee you're living broken in this life. You were made to breathe in and out of love, in and out, just like you're made to breathe oxygen. It's the interchange of love. It comes in and goes out. It comes in and goes out. It comes in and goes out. And then this amazing thing that I still don't comprehend, that he wires us up to connect to one another. We're wired up to connect to one another in love. How does that work? See, in the West, we love to separate from one another. I want my house, my car, my room, and my bed with my pillow. And we love to give ourselves to personal preference and separate. I don't know there's something about it about love or it's just I don't know I look at Acts 2 and they gave and gave and they had all things in common and they gave and that just sounds so foreign to our culture well I want to I just want to propose something that perhaps the American dream is not built on the reality of God's love perhaps And therefore, when we give ourselves to the American dream and we separate and we give ourselves to personal preference over and over and over in our lives and whatever measure it manifests and we give ourselves that way, perhaps we are separated from the love and the life of God flowing through us to others because he wired me to love you. And he wired you to love me. And he put a place in me that gives love to people. And he put a place in me that receives love from people. He couldn't have told me to love one another and and given that word to someone else and put me in the bullseye of it if I wasn't wired up to receive love. And when I just want to throw this to you. When somebody tries to give to you, when they try to serve and bless you, and they try to genuinely love you, not with a weird motive, but in a good way, and you have a hard time receiving. I tell you, the wiring of your heart is really there to receive it. But you're, you're not only stifled in your own interchange of love, you're stifling theirs too. We've got to get through this, beloved. We, we've really got to get through this. Some of you might say, well, I, I love everybody. There's an old DC talk song that says, love is a verb. <laughs> the Apostle John said this way, he goes, let us not love in word only, but in deed and in truth. And the point is, the truth is, if you love, there's a deed or two that goes along with it. It's a manifestation of the fruit of this thing living in us. It's love. So it works in this fashion. God loves us. 
we accept and experience his love. I know this seems elementary, but most of us haven't thought about it at this level. And I want to get the wiring in us about what this is. God loves us. We accept and experience his love. And in turn, we love God. And in turn, in light of his love for us and our flowing back and forth in love with him, then we actually love ourselves. That's actually the next place it has to go. And then we love others. One another, our neighbors, our enemies. And it's this experiential interchange of love that we live in love in this life. And see, here's what we've got to understand is that love is obtrusive and love is devastating. Love will bring you to the cross. Just ask Jesus. Greater love has no man than this than he lay his life down for his friends. I think about Jesus looking into the eyes of the disciples he knows he's about to be executed and those words come out of his lips greater love has no man than this then he laid down his life for his friends he goes love one another they're not quite sure yet about this whole cross thing they don't know what's about to go down they're not quite sure about what he's talking about but he's about to give them a living example a living image of what love is at the cross he's about to brand their soul with what it means to give to even laying down your life see that's John 15 13 greater love is no one than this John 15 12 is this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you what do you think they were thinking the day after Jesus was crucified? And he goes, do you remember that thing he said that we're supposed to love one another as he's loved us? And greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. He was talking about the cross and he's calling us to that for each other. How do you think that was setting in on them? These are first century Jews with businesses and lands. How do you think that was setting in? It was obtrusive. It was devastating to their lifestyle. And they realized this thing is not simply about tolerating people with a kind facade, but there's a sharing and giving of my life that Christ is calling me to as the reality of living life in love. Sharing and giving my life. Giving it away. See, living in love is living the cross. Living the cross is living the given life. It's giving it away. Giving it to others. How can I give my life away? That's living in love. The given life. I think about the Apostle Paul. He gave his life to the churches think about John he gave his life till he was exiled and then eventually they tried to boil him and that didn't work he gave his life think about Jesus he gave his life he's not calling us to some other version of Christianity beloved he's calling us to give our lives what to, to God yes but to one another so Jesus said so there is this twofold fold call to love and, it, and it, it lands like this we love <clears throat> as Christ loved us and we love others as we love ourselves now maybe it's elementary but let's just go back through it if I'm going to love you as Christ loved me I better have a revelation of his love for me. That thing better be so alive in me. You know what I mean? It's not just even the one, two, three, four, fives. This thing better be moving in my emotions at such a depth. There's no way I can love unless my soul is impacted with love. There's no way I can give love away unless my emotions have been blasted over and over and over continually by the revelation of God's desires 
and feelings and yearnings for me. Impossible for me to love. Sure, I could make a list and make it look like I'm loving, but unless there's a fountain of experience, of breathing in, like we were singing tonight, the intoxicating perfume of God's love, I simply won't love. I won't give love. So to love as Christ loved me, it's all predicated on knowing love. Here's the thing. If I'm going to love someone as Christ loved me, of course there's a lot of teaching that says you have to just choose to love. But the way that Christ loves us involves emotions. It involves feelings and affections. If I'm to love someone else the way Christ loves me, you know what I've got to get? I've got to get his vantage point for the one that he's calling me to love, and which is everybody. You know when it started landing for me? Just this past week, or maybe it was a week, two weeks ago, we were praying, maybe, it was maybe this week, we were praying for uh, the 1040 window. And all of a sudden, I started seeing the Muslim nations in the 1040 window, and I started seeing the militant Islamic groups in my mind, you know, just, you know, the guys that are doing the suicide bombings and, and just hate Christians and just hate America. And, the, and I mean, I, I, it just was just so tender. He goes, the Lord just to my heart, he goes, do you love them? And I'm like, I don't think I do. For real. I don't think so. I'm imagining the suicide bomber that's going to go blow up mamas and babies and civilians. For what? A false God and a false religion. And I'm trying to pray, God save them, but I don't even care about them. That's an enemy. I'm on his list, but you know what? He's not to be an enemy to me. He's to be one that I love for real. See, there's emotions in God's heart for that kid. That 20-year-old guy who thinks he's about to, you know, go into heaven by blowing himself up for a false god. There's emotions in the heart of God for that kid. God has thoughts about that kid. There's something moving in God's mind every time. Yes, for all the people that get injured, and yes, for all the people that get killed, but there's something moving in God's heart for the guy that damns himself to eternity by blowing himself up in the name of Allah. There's emotions that God feels about that one. Why? Because God so loved the world. I started realizing, I, there's places in my soul that have not been filled with love. There's places in my emotions that have not been whelmed, overwhelmed with love because I don't feel love. And this thing involves emotions and affections and it involves feelings and all sorts of things. And unless I'm tapping into his emotions, unless I'm knowing the way he feels about somebody, that thing will never be released through me. Knowing his love for me, but knowing his love for them. And then I can give love. And I started realizing that love, it can only manifest to the extent, it can only manifest through us to the extent that we are willing to allow our selfishness to be destroyed. Because as long as I stay gripping my own selfishness, gripping my own ways, gripping my own thoughts, gripping my own preferences, as long as self is in charge... Love will not manifest. I was talking to uh, this person this week, and they've been in the ministry. It was last week, I guess. No, it was this week. I can, man, I, this Thanksgiving thing threw me off. But they've been in the ministry 35 years. And I was talking to them about this issue about loving people. And this person loves, like, big time. They give love away all the time. And I said, well, how do, you, how do you deal with 
love and the emotions of it and giving it, giving it, giving it, and then maybe one that you love, they, they blow up and it, 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 you know, you don't really see the fruit of that thing. How do you, because I know this person's a very affectionate and emotional person, I said, how do you traffic that? And they, the answer that they came back with was stunning. They said this, you and I both have to realize that in every person, the beast within is selfishness. And it's even my own selfishness that scandalizes my heart when I give love and I don't see the fruit of it. She said, as long as I lock into selfishness, I won't give love. But if I will allow selfishness to die, I will continue to to fall in love with people the way God loves them and give love to people regardless of whether or not I ever feel it. You know, feel it back is the idea. Yeah, it's powerful. See, we've got to be willing to allow selfishness to be destroyed so love can manifest, and it just brings you to the question, like me, like I'm just staring at the question, am I willing to embrace the devouring power of love in my life unto all my selfish ways being incinerated do I really want that I mean I could hype us all up and get us to cheer a cheer and go yeah we want it but no it just wasn't like am I really willing to not have my way for real am I willing for selfishness to go I'm looking into this thing and I'm going God I don't know but just like, do whatever. <laughs> Make me willing to be willing. Flip the switch. Hit me with a lightning bolt. Whatever's got to happen. Why? Because this is, this is his commandment. Love one another. Love one another. He said, he, he didn't say, find out what love looks like and then paint a smile on your face and go, praise the Lord, brother. And mostly ignore people while being sort of kind on the ex- outside without having an internal reality. He didn't say that. He said, love as I've loved. That's huge. That's way bigger. And then the next one, the twofold, two parts. Love as he loves. And then love as you love yourself. That's the second commandment. Love others the way you love yourself how do we do that well clearly first we have to love ourselves and I started thinking about this and I'm going what is like godly love of yourself what is that because I don't know what that is Anybody that I've ever heard talk about somebody that loved themselves is talking about somebody that was fully in pride giving themselves to lust I don't, even, I don't even have a model for godly love of yourself. Like, I don't even know what that is. I'm sitting there looking into this thing, and I'm going, God, what is it for me to love me without it being weird? I mean, I mean come on. Is anybody, you know, like, tracking with that? I mean, and, I, and I'm thinking, I don't, I, don't, I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue what that is. Well, it works the same way as the first one. I can only love you the way Christ loves you if I receive the love of Christ for me and then his vantage point for you. And I can only love myself if I receive the love of God for me and then in turn love myself the way God loves me. Huh. Love myself the way God loves me. How does that work? Well, it includes affection and but it includes, see, affection sounds a little strange because you think, oh, I love myself and just kind of weird. And I'm not trying to be, but you know, but it really just, it, if we boil it off a little bit, boil it down, it means he likes me. God likes me. I tell you, it was so liberating to find out that God likes me. I like that. Because I knew he had to love me because he's sort of, he's God it's like you sort of have to love me, but you like me. You know, because we say, well, I love you, but I don't like you. 
that's not even true. That's not even biblical. I guarantee you it's not biblical. Well, I love them, but I don't like them. God goes, I love you and I like you. You're cool. And he, and he has affection. That's what he's talking about. He, he likes us. When I found out God liked me, I went, oh my. This will work. You like me? And, and I mean, it's more than, he, he likes this, like, stuff about me. He, he likes me. He likes my personality. He likes my little stuff, my quirky things, my ability to tell corny jokes that no one else laughs at that I laugh at. He likes that. You might not like it, but he does. And that's where I can be confident. Because God likes me. And all of a sudden I start realizing, well, if he likes me, and I'm supposed to love others as I love myself, and the fact that he likes me is his affection for me, and that's part of his love for me, then I guess I have to like myself. Hmm. I have to like myself. I like it that God likes me, but do I like myself? What do you think? See, I think we don't realize our negative viewpoint of ourselves often. And therefore, we find ourselves in, it's sort of a strong term, but it's self-hatred. And then we have a hard time loving others as we love ourselves, because we don't like ourselves. So how am I going to like you? Stunning, huh? Especially if I'm 22. It's even worse if I'm, you know, a teenager. But you know what's even, maybe even more challenging than that? To be 40 or 40 plus and have lived a whole life not liking yourself. It's compounded over years. And no one's ever pulled the plug on it. No wonder it's hard for us to love and show affection. No wonder it's hard for us to be intimate with one another. No wonder it's difficult for us to come out of shame and be open and honest and give and extend ourselves and be intimate. No wonder we have a challenge exposing ourselves and being affectionate. No wonder guys can't tell other guys, I love you, without going, bro, dude, love you, man. we don't have any concept of love of self so how are we going to love one another and work through this a little bit see once I realized this that God's desires for me include the eternal package and not so much the temporal package yes he wants to bless me in this life but his blessings extend way he's got a way broader vision than just making me happy right this second then all of a sudden, when I line up with the way that God feels and God's vision and God's dream for me, all of a sudden, then I live my life based on his vision and his dream for me. You know what I'm doing? I'm loving myself. If God loves me and he's got a dream for me that extends into eternity, and he's got a broad picture for me that is way beyond me getting temporal, immediate gratifications, that, then if I can line up with that, God's desire that's long-term extends into eternity, and I can live my life from that vantage point, you know what I'm falling into? Loving myself the way God loves me. Because he's got an eternal dream for me. He's thinking about the day that I'm going to marry his son. He's thinking about the ages to come where he's going to show me the exceeding greatness of his loving kindness toward me. See, he's working in me right now for that day. And the, the, the amount that I agree with his plan for that day, and I say yes to his dream, and I live in concert with his desires for me that are always good, they're always full of love, then I am living life loving myself. It's kind of amazing. I like myself when I think of myself the way God thinks of me and I love myself when I embrace his destiny and purpose for my life into the ages to come and give myself to that huh 
It's looking at yourself the way God looks and pursuing that which God desires. And I was thinking about how often we find ourselves not pursuing that which God desires. See, it's the pressing back on the desire to to have immediate gratifications because immediate gratifications, the Bible describes those things as lusts. I want it, I want it now. We fall into lust and it is not love. And And there's this interesting thing. We have righteous, godly love of self, but then we have this other little thing called the lust of the flesh. And they're, they seem so close. And they are because everything that is a counterfeit of the real is always, it just feels and looks almost the same. See, there's eternal longings in our heart that God put in. Desires for beauty and, and like Monica was talking about, for, for being exhilarated and fascinated. But those have an eternal reality to them. The lusts of the flesh, they counterfeit all the longings of the heart and they draw you into the, to trying to get them immediately and gratifying them through right now in this life and through the flesh without the eternal aspect. And so what ends up happening is this, is that we move into, when we, when we don't go after the dream of God, we move into this thing called self-hate. And self-hate is kind of interesting. It manifests on the, on the short way with just sort of dislike of yourself and on the broad way with absolute destruction of yourself. But it's weird how it works. You ever noticed, I was thinking about this, the most powerful lies that the devil tells us are the lies that have a strand of truth in them. When he lies to us, but the lie that he tells us sounds like truth, it has the most powerful impact upon us. It's like this. He goes, you are so unworthy. And that thing hits us. We go, my gosh, I am unworthy. God, there's no way God could love me because I'm unworthy. See, what is the truth? The truth is, we are totally unworthy but God loves us and see the devil says you are so ugly in your sin we go oh I'm ugly and the truth what's the truth well of course we're ugly in sin that's not new news to anybody is it but God loves weak people who are ugly in sin And what happens is this, is when we agree with the way that the enemy thinks about us, now we're moving into hatred of ourselves because the enemy hates us. When we agree with the way God thinks about us, we're moving into righteous self-love because God loves us. But this thing happens in such subtle ways. It's, it's so unique. And, and so what happens is this, that the enemy will release a lie to us and say, you are so terrible you're dirty you're ugly you're unworthy and when we hear those lies that have that strand of truth or that they're they're perverted truth is what they'll be many times and we agree with them we move right into self-hate and it manifests like this god would say i accept you but self-hatred would say i'm unacceptable because i'm dirty And the truth is, yes, you're dirty, but he still accepts you. That's how good God is. You know, I tell you what, my life changed when I came to grips with how big of a dork I really am. I I mean, it's funny, but it's real. When I realized that I have massive blind spots, huge weaknesses, propensities to fall into pride and lust in a real way, and that trying to keep a facade like none of that's real in my life is just a waste of time. When I realized that I have got a dorky, dorky life, and that's just who I am. I'm not being self-deprecating. I'm just being real. But God loves the dork that I am. Oh, oh, it got good from that moment on. 
No, it got real good. Because I didn't have to try to prove to anybody that I was perfect. I didn't have to wear a veneer. When I decided I am weak and it's okay and God loves the weak, this works. Because Satan would say to me, you're so weak. How can you be a leader? Look how weak you are. And I go, oh, I'm so weak. I'm a terrible leader. And God goes, little buddy, I only use weak people because it's the only kind there are. the only kind of leaders that I've ever had are weak guys I go really I like weak people you do yeah because that's the only kind I have (laughs) it helped no that helped and all of a sudden I didn't have to try to be strong and be a leader that had everything together it was like you know Paul Paul goes you know we are I can't think of the word it's basically he goes we are baffled but not in despair. Somebody goes, so what's your plan for getting a new building? I go, I have no clue. God's going to figure it out. He's going to tell us. I guess he's already got it figured. We're just waiting to hear what the message is. Somebody goes, oh, brother, don't you know? I go, you know what? If God doesn't tell us what, what, where, and when on a new building, it ain't going to work anyway. So, you know, it's so funny because I probably hear that, that question more than I hear anything else. So what's the word on a new building? I go, no clue. We're trying. You know, we're trying to tune in the station that has the new building information on it. But we don't know. But I know this, we got a good deal right here. And it's humbling. No, it's humbling. So where y'all meet? Well, it's not really our facility. It's kind of someone else's. They just kind of let us use it, and uh, yeah, yeah, we don't have our own facilities. It's just kind of humbling. And then, you know, it's not our rules. It's the rules of the house, and it's tear down and set up, and, and it, you know, runs our staff in a, in a way. It runs them in, 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 in to expend extra energy, and it's working meekness in us, and God knows exactly what he's doing. You know why? Because if we go 24-7 and we get a building like that, this little buddy would be strutting. No, I'm serious. He goes, little weak buddy, I like you and I'm saving you. And when I realized that he likes me in spite of all these perverted truths, the pressure came off. I win. God likes me. I win. There's no other achievement. God likes me. I win. Everything is okay then. I don't have to perform. I don't have to, you know, prove myself. I don't have to try to be something I'm not. And all of a sudden, all my self-hatred moved in, move, is moving, I should say, because I'm in process, is moving into righteous self-love. see self-hatred in its, in its most manifest, I think it's, its most grandiose way, and I'm, I'm, I'm landing in a minute, but I think self-hatred in its most grandiose way manifests in this. Someone who fully gives themselves to the lust of their flesh. Because giving yourself to the lust of your flesh brings destruction to you. So he said, no, 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 that guy loves himself. He's full of pride. I tell you, that guy that's full of pride, who quote unquote loves himself and has given himself to debauchery, he hates himself at the core. He's smoking crack because he hates himself. He's running around in relationships because he hates himself. He's trying to get all the money he can Spend it on all of his lusts because he's trying to destroy, inside he's trying to destroy himself as fast as possible. He may not do the math that way, but self-hatred manifests in this, giving ourselves to lusts, not living for God's desires, living for the desires of the enemy, the one who hates us, who wants us destroyed. 
See, Romans 8 says the mindset on the flesh is death. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Self-hatred manifests in going after the temporal, giving ourselves to immediate gratification, and, and, and trying to be fascinated in our flesh. We don't even realize we're totally queuing in to the one who hates us and his plan for our lives. On the low end, it's not agreeing with the way God thinks of us. On the high end, it's trying to destroy us, as, trying to destroy ourselves as fast as we can with all sorts of lusts and sin. You know, I, I want to love. I want us to love. You know, I want to live in a community that loves, that really loves, that is full of the love of God, hearts alive, exploding in love, and loves each other that way. I mean, just, just all day long, just giving ourselves to one another. And then just loves the world and loves those who hate us and loves the neighbor with real love. And it flows out of this, that all my shame has been dealt with, all my self-hatred has been broken, and I see myself the way God sees me. And I can love you because I love me. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful to live in a community that we love one another that truly the way we love ourselves and that we actually are healthy in heart and we love ourselves in righteous love the way God loves us? I think it's doable. I, I don't think it would be in the Bible if it wasn't doable. I think it's real. But I think it absolutely is going to take a destruction of our selfishness we're going to have to come out of shame. We're going to have to come out of self-hatred. And we're going to have to move in, in, into an experiential reality of love and embrace the given life. The given life. A given life. I want to live a given life. Worship team, come on, let's just go ahead and stand.